Welcome to Gross Point Blank. I am Josh Gross, as we do every week on The Athletic, talking mixed martial arts. A big week, uh, I think, to reflect on. Of course, we're doing this later, as we usually do. This show is usually released on a Thursday, coming out on a Friday this week. So we are somewhat removed from UFC 246, where Conor McGregor handled Donald Cerrone. Uh, I I think there's things to reflect on, and we will here shortly. Uh, This show, though, is mostly dedicated to the Bellator card coming up on Saturday at the Forum in Inglewood, California. It's the Bellator Featherweight Championship between Julia Budd and Chris Cyborg. Cyborg, of course, uh, has been a dominant figure amongst the women fighters in mixed martial arts for over a decade, and Julia Budd is trying to have people finally recognize that she is one of the top fighters amongst the women at 145 in the world, and a victory on Saturday night would do that. Other fights to pay attention to on that card, of course. Uh, The featherweight tournament continues. Adam Borix taking on Darian Caldwell. That's a big deal. We'll talk about a lot of that in the final segment. I I do want to hit on uh, this Conor McGregor fight before we get to the interviews. We have two interviews this week. Uh, Pulled them both during uh, Bellator Media Days. Uh, One with Raymond Daniels, who if you're unfamiliar with Raymond Daniels, it's probably because you don't follow kickboxing and you're not familiar with the concept of viral videos. Uh, He had one of the most impressive knockouts of 2019, the 720 spinning punch knockout in Birmingham, England in May of last year. And boy, uh, I think the expectations are high for Raymond Daniels just in terms of what is this guy going to do next. Lots of fun talking to him. We also talked to Julia Budd, who is, I think, as calm and collected as you'd want to see out of a champion. Uh, I'm taping as uh, this just getting back from the Bellator Media Day on the Paramount Studios lot. Uh, a not-so-subtle reminder that Bellator is under the umbrella of Viacom CBS and that they have these resources and that they are going to continue to lean on these resources and expand upon their mixed martial arts business, I think, in a big way in 2020. Uh, that's where I spoke to Julia, and both those interviews will run uh, after this opening segment. Uh, before we get to the Bellator stuff, I, I, I think it's uh, we'd be remiss, as late in the week as it is, to not reflect again on what we saw at T-Mobile Arena on January 18th, uh, 18th between Conor McGregor and Donald Cerrone. Uh, look, uh, no surprise that Conor McGregor won that fight. I don't think anybody's really surprised by that. Uh, I think coming in, you had to feel like uh, his chances were pretty good. Uh, not only is he an excellent fighter, which I think people tend to forget, Conor McGregor is an excellent fighter. Um, he was fighting a Donald Cerrone. He was coming off two terrible losses, clearly on the downside of his career. And... If, look, if we're going to call it straight, which we do here, uh, Donald Cerrone's not really been a big fight winner. He does not show up in the biggest moments in his career. He's done that consistently and again, and sometimes in really bad, brutal ways. And again, you know, add this to the tally 40 seconds. Um, you know, I, I, th- I think, you know, you can kind of think about Cerrone in some ways here if you want to, but the story is clearly McGregor. Look, all the media impressions all the social media buzz, all the pay-per-views that Dana White and ESPN are, are I'm sure, happy that they sold. Um, that's the story, right? And then the setup for 2020, because everything was predicated on Conor McGregor winning this fight, coming out ahead. If he looked good doing it, if he was dominant doing it, great. But the, the whole point of it was getting his hand raised. Okay, the man got his hand raised, but he did it in spectacular fashion, the kind of fashion that reminded us how special a fighter and competitor Conor McGregor has been over the course of his career. Now, 22-4, and 
really set up to do whatever he wants. And that's kind of what it comes down to now. It's it's up to him and his camp, obviously in conjunction with the UFC and with ESPN. What makes the most sense? A lot of people had this discussion in the aftermath. I'm still in the camp that George Mosfidal makes the most sense. Uh, you can make an argument for Nate Diaz to stay at 170. You can make an argument. Uh, maybe he deserves next to, for the 170 title against Kamara Usman. You can make an argument that he should go back to 155. And if you want, okay, he gets the winner of Khabib and Tony. Most people are forgetting Tony in this conversation, just saying Khabib. Uh, there's Justin Gaethje. Look, there are a lot of avenues for Conor McGregor to take. And that's really what this fight was. This fight essentially was a gate. Okay, a gate to the rest of 2020 for Conor McGregor and a gateway to a boatload of money uh, for the sport. I'm not sure that anyone can deny at this point that there has been a more important fighter in terms of the business of mixed martial arts than Conor McGregor, a more impactful fighter on the business of mixed martial arts than Conor McGregor, and someone who, when he says, I'm going to be number one on the Forbes list, you, you can't just outright laugh at that. I mean, that is not an idea that you can simply dismiss. If Conor McGregor goes out, fights two more times in 2020, wins both those times, and each of those fights are bouts that people want to see in major ways, not like this Cerrone fight, which felt like a total, uh, I'm not going to say setup, that's the wrong word, but a total opportunity for Conor to look good. That's really what this booking was. There's real danger against everyone I just mentioned. There, is any, any of you listening to me think that there's no danger in fighting George Mosfidal? No, no danger in fighting Justin Gaethje, and certainly Tony Ferguson, and certainly Khabib Nurmagomedov, and certainly Kamaru Usman, and Nate Diaz. We already know there's danger in there for Conor McGregor. So once you start getting the fact that this man has rekindled, and it wasn't going to take much, right? Uh, I said essentially like he snuffed his own fire. But it wouldn't take much more than a little breeze to get it going again. Well, this was a this was a hurricane force wind at his sails. Okay, what does that mean? I don't think most sailors want to deal with hurricane force winds, right? Uh, that's not something that you really want to play around with. But Conor McGregor, his boat floats a little bit differently, doesn't it? So he's in the chaos. He's in the midst of something that he thinks he can control. And really, he's got a big say in what that looks like. Um, I don't think there's a wrong choice. I think there are better choices, but I don't think there's a wrong choice. I don't necessarily see him fighting Nate Diaz right now. I don't want to see him fight Nate Diaz. There's a lot of people out there saying he should be next, and that makes sense. That's not the fight I want. I would love to see him fight Justin Gaethje. I have no problem with that fight. I don't think that's a fight that Conor should take. I don't want to see him fight Khabib Nurmagomedov right now. I don't. I, I, I think that that fight with a couple more wins and if Khabib goes out and beats Tony Ferguson, yes, that's the biggest fight in the history of MMA. I don't think Dana White's blowing any smoke when he says that, okay? I don't mind seeing him fight Tony Ferguson. If Tony Ferguson goes out and beat Khabib Nurmagomedov and then Connor wants to fight that guy, let's do it. I, I'd love to see that fight. The one, I definitely don't want to see him fight Kamar Usman because I, I think that's a terrible fight for Conor McGregor. It's a huge test. Maybe it's the toughest taste test out of all of these things that we're discussing, right? So the one that stands out to me, and it stands out to most people, and it makes the most sense, and from financially it makes the most sense, and competitively it makes a lot of sense, George Mosvidal, Jorge, right? Mr. Mescal, 
he can fight the whiskey guy, and that's a massive fight. And everybody in the sport is captivated. Everyone outside the sport is captivated. I'm not sure why this is a hard discussion. I'm not sure. I'm not sure why the UFC would not want that fight right now. The worst case scenario for Conor McGregor, he loses to George Masvidal. Well, that fight was 170. Masvidal is on a friggin' tear. Masvidal might be the best welterweight in the world right now. So what do you really lose there? Mm, a little cachet. You're not the welterweight. You're not the best welterweight. Well, most people don't think he's the best welterweight anyways. I mean, I don't think a lot of people are going to pick him to beat Kamara Usman, okay? I, I, I think he'd had struggle against Leon Edwards. I think he would struggle against a lot of these guys. He really would. Colby Covington would be a very difficult fight for Conor McGregor. So I'm not sure what there's to lose by dropping a fight against George Mosfell. You go back to 155 and it's gravy again and you take on a Gaethje. I mean, you can write the ship pretty quickly. So Conor McGregor, it's the world is his oyster again. And how do you feel about living in a world like that? I, I think it's pretty interesting. All the conversation coming in, all the discussion around Conor McGregor, if he can keep his head on straight and these allegations that exist about him uh, do not go to a place where charges are filed or anything happens and there's not more to those stories, then it's all gravy. Then it's all gravy. Uh, he is a unique person in this sport. And I, I think sometimes you know we need to say these things out loud. Conor McGregor is a unique person in mixed martial arts. I scoffed at the idea of him as the Irish Muhammad Ali. Don't do that to Conor McGregor. He doesn't need it. He's absolutely not Muhammad Ali. Nobody is. He's Conor McGregor. And that means something. That's a big deal. That is a big deal in the world of mixed martial arts. And it seems like it's going to be a big deal for a while. So uh, couldn't have gone any better for him. I think if you look at the athleticism that he possesses, the, the techniques that he uses... Uh, I've seen a lot of fights. I've never seen anyone get wrecked with shoulder strikes like the way that McGregor did to Cerrone. Uh, it was impressive. It was impressive. I, I, if you're criticizing McGregor for anything, it's just because that's who you are, really, at this stage. You can ask him questions about stuff outside the cage, but from a competitive standpoint, from pure sport, pure fighting, uh, he's extremely dynamic. There are bad matchups for him, but... Uh, he's extremely dynamic. And I, look, and I, I'm talking this up, and I'm ta I know I'm talking this up, and I recognize that Donald Cerrone is washed, okay? Donald Cerrone is not the fighter who set all these records and did all these things. He's not. He's got a lot of mileage on him, Donald Cerrone. Fighters take dips in their careers. He's in a dip in his career. He is not the man that he was. And so it's, you don't want to read too much into it. Conor McGregor didn't show, throw shoulder strikes on Khabib Nurmagomedov and knock him out. Okay, he didn't do that. He did it to Donald Cerrone. He was impressive. Was it, wasn't the, the greatest thing I'd ever seen. The win against Aldo stands out to me is still his like, most amazing in-competition feat. But this was exactly, like literally exactly what he needed to get people excited again, to get Ireland back talking about him, to get the world talking about him, to get the sports, general sports population talking about Conor McGregor. They love talking about Conor McGregor. Um, I don't know how you're mad at that. I don't know. You shouldn't be mad at that. That's a good thing. 
Um, and so I can't wait till Conor McGregor's next fight. I hope it happens in the spring or early summer. It should. It should happen quick, and I would expect it to. And I'll probably tell you if it's not George Masvidal, then it was a mistake. Not the worst mistake, but I don't think it was the best possible fight that they could do for Conor McGregor in that spot. And so uh, I think a lot of us are hoping that that's, that's the contest. Um, all right. That was the previous weekend. Let's focus on the weekend ahead. I got two interviews for you. Like I said, Raymond Daniels, um, a celebrated kickboxer, a unique character, a dynamic finisher. And if you've not seen the finish from 2019, please Google right now before we do this interview so you know what we're talking about. Um, and also Julia Budd, who seems ready for this moment. Absolutely ready to fight Chris Cyborg and retain her title. And uh, I think she's got a great shot of doing that. So uh, check those out. I'll be back on the other side, talk about this card in the final segment. I am Josh Gross. You're listening to Gross Point Black. Josh Gross at Bellator Media Day with Raymond Daniels. Uh, good news for you, Raymond. You're fighting on the main card now. What do you feel about these sort of like last-minute switches sometimes? Does it make a difference for you? Um, at the end of the day, it really, it really doesn't make a difference to me because as, as long as I have the opportunity and the platform to do it on, uh, I feel that I'm going to be all right. Um, even if I was on the undercard, my goal is always the same. It's to kind of steal the show from everybody, so I don't really care who's on the card. If I'm on the undercard, if I'm the main event, I plan on going out and doing things that uh, other people have never dreamt about doing, or maybe they've dreamt about doing, but they're a little bit of uh, a little bit timid to go out there and do them in real life. Um, so I plan on going and doing what I normally do is, 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 is do my best, be the GOAT, greatest of all time, put God over all things, and, and uh, just leaving it in his hands and, and uh, let him live through me. For people who may not know you and look you up, they're going to see this guy's one and one in MMA, and I, what's what's his deal? Why do I need to know who Raymond Daniels is? But then maybe they dig a little deeper, right, and they understand your kickboxing pedigree and your martial arts pedigree and say, oh, well, he wasn't a mixed martial artist, but he came up through the game as a martial artist. Now, this is your second fight, 11 years in between. Uh, this is your third fight in MMA. You've had two, 11 years between the two that you had. Um, how do you make a decision, first of all, to go into it in 2008 and then step back into it in 2019? And why was that gap something that occurred in your career? Uh, well, I had some different things that had uh, happened throughout my career uh, that have had, had some pauses and some different things. Um, but I was uh, doing my kickboxing thing at the time, and, and uh, I just had... A opportunity to go into the strike force at that moment it, an opportunity kind of presented itself um, and that was me being a young man and I was an undefeated kickboxing fighter at the time I had never lost I had been knocking everybody out in the first like 20 30 seconds so uh, no one could tell me anything at the time and uh, that's part of being what we like to call a uh, young and dumb <laughs> you know, as, as you get older in life, you have the opportunity to reflect on some of your past, you know, decisions, mistakes. Um, so I did. I honestly didn't go in. I didn't prepare myself properly. I didn't prepare myself in in uh, wrestling. I didn't prepare myself in jujitsu. I literally took zero classes in either one. And I just figured, hey, I'm gonna go out and punch and kick this guy and knock him out and call it a day. Don't need this this defense. And obviously, I was in for a rude awakening. I think it was something that I honestly needed in my life uh, at that particular time in that particular moment. Uh, because I think uh, sometimes a lot of fighters, like when they're undefeated or when they're on this high, they start to almost start to believe their own hype, uh, so to speak. And uh, so I think it was a very great uh, life lesson for me at the time. So I wouldn't take that back. Um, 
And then there was a time gap because I went on to some different and other leagues. I even during that that time period, I even uh, went through a ruptured Achilles tendon, um, which took me a while to come back for. Um, and then I went on to win, uh, climb the glory ladder, and then over here to Bellator and winning the Bellator kickboxing title. Um, and then uh, I got a call from uh, Scott and Coker and uh, from Mike Hogan, uh, asking me about that, that talking to me about what they're doing over in the UK with the new Europe League and stuff like that. And, and I have a very large following. And if you were in my media circle, you knew that even though all that time passed, you knew that I, deep inside my heart, I had to go back to MMA in order to rectify that past kind of error that I felt like I made. And not error that I, I did it, uh, error that I didn't prepare myself properly, they say piss poor preparation produces piss poor performance and that's what my performance was that particular time uh, is because I didn't prepare myself properly and then uh, you fast forward to all this 10 11 years later and you know I surrounded myself with a group of individuals that were that were questioning me that were putting me in check I, I did the training I did the hard work um, so that knockout everybody's like oh my gosh I've never seen but they don't realize that that was uh, that was 10, 11 years of built up for, not necessarily a frustration, but built up anticipation. Okay, let's, so, so you bring up the knockout. It's something I was gonna bring up a little later here, but you bring it up. And uh, if, you, if you don't know who Raymond Daniels is, Google his name and you'll see this knockout uh, happened in May of last year uh, in Birmingham. I, I've heard you talk about it and it's something that you prepared for and planned for, but where do you get the gall to do that in a fight like where do you get the guts to do that in a fight you know you're fighting someone else and you know if it goes wrong you put yourself maybe in a bad position but where does that sort of instinct to say I'm willing to put myself out there to do something crazy like that where does that come from yeah, definitely. It is a, it's a high risk, high reward move. I mean, because just like I hit that guy, like I, I could, I, I'm putting myself in a, a danger by jumping up in there and spinning around and stuff like that. Uh, for me, uh, a, a lot. I feel like I'm a martial artist at heart. Meaning, I this is something I've dedicated uh, my entire life to. This is my craft. So. Um, Bellator has given me the opportunity to to do what I love and share it with the world, um, and because I've been working on the mastery of this 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 craft, um, I want to show it in its purest form in it, in, at a mastery level. So people take like little bits and pieces of the boxing or the kickboxing or the Muay Thai or, or the wrestling, but a lot of times, or the jujitsu even, but people don't become masters. When you see masters, you see great people. Like if you look at like say a, a Royce Gracie, he is a master of, of his art form. And no one could ever understand like, how is this little guy going and beating up all these big guys? So uh, for me, I like to go out there and I realize that most of the, most of the time my opponent doesn't understand what it is that I'm doing because they haven't put the time and time spent into the art form like I have so uh, people are like oh man it's because this or because that but it's because the person doesn't understand what it is that I'm doing why I'm able to land techniques like that and people are like oh those are flashy moves but for me they're the basics. They're like the ABCs to me, but because I've been practicing them so long. Um, 720 is a basic then? 720 <laughs> knockout points is a basic? Uh, 720 is a little more complex. It's more like intermediate. It's, I, I would say a 720 punch or kick is an intermediate level. Um, you know, when I wouldn't even, I, I guess it, it could be intermediate to advanced. Uh, so, uh, it, I, and I just like to do things that people have never seen or people that are dream about and, and most people don't have that uh, you know they might be scared to go get out there and to do it and to put themselves at risk I mean if you think about it we're, we're, we're fighting we're professional fighters it, it's already scary to be going out there in the first place people don't realize that like to step out there if you've ever been say if you've never fought uh, uh, the closest I could say is a, a roller coaster 
Imagine you're getting on the roller coaster and they're taking you up and you hear tick, 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 and you get to the top and it just kind of freezes and you can see like all the cars in the parking lot. And right before that drop and you're thinking to yourself, why did I get on this thing? Who put me on? Why did I sign up for this? And then you're screaming and you don't know what's going on. Your stomach drops. And uh, that's kind of how it is going out to the cage and getting in the ring and fighting. But uh, once you experience that drop, you're having the best the time of your life. And when I get out there, even though I, I do get that those still nerves, I'm, I'm having the time of my life. And, and you only live once. So I figure I'm going to go out and I'm going to uh, give everybody uh, something that they've never seen before. Um, I don't think anybody's ever pro- or probably I don't think anybody has a knockout highlight reel of knockouts collectively like I do with the type of techniques that I do. Um, so I, I, I plan on uh, continuing to add to that. Would you uh, blame uh, any opponents you ever faced in mixed martial arts for not standing up with you and trying to take you down every single time? Would you hold that against them? Sometimes we've seen strikers come into this sport and say, hey, you know, fight, fight like a man, fight in your feet, fight in this. Sort of like not realizing that mixed martial arts is a total game. It is different than just kickboxing or boxing. Would you hold it against your opponents if they just said, I'm not standing with this guy. I'm going to get a 720 knocked out by this guy. No, I would imagine. I mean, I think uh, kind of my reputation precedes me sometimes when I go in and, and I fight people. So um, I wouldn't imagine anybody even that was in this game that's a say a boxer or a kickboxer or a Muay Thai guy even if they are a stand-up fighter martial artist that they would want to stand up and fight with me for any long period of time um, to be honest um, but I, I wouldn't hold it against them because I, you want to fight to your strengths so to speak uh, you know what I mean so if they feel that they are stronger than me in wrestling or in jiu-jitsu um, then you know hey that's it. obviously it's an all-around sport you know what I mean you got to know the rules before you get in there and if I didn't know that they could do that to me then uh, I'm in for a rude awakening so then what is your goal? You're, you're approaching 40. You've already been, uh, I mean, an extremely accomplished martial artist and kickboxer throughout your life. What, what is the point of what you're doing in mixed martial arts? Uh, for me, it's a, it's about uh, just continuous growth. Uh, martial arts journey is a never-ending journey about continuing to grow, continuing to make yourself better, trying to be the best version of yourself. Uh, everything I've ever participated in uh, with martial arts-wise, I've always risen to the top and become uh, the champ. Um, I, I did it in my old sport karate days with uh, NASCAR and NBL. I did it in the WCL League when I became my team became the champion, uh, ship team, and uh, in Glory, I became the number one. I was the number one contender in glory I actually fought for the title and got my eyes split so that's the reason I lost that title um, and then in Bellator kickboxing I became the Bellator kickboxing champion uh, so my goal now is uh, to step over into this MMA world I don't plan on uh, doing it for a whole a really long time so I don't want to go down this yellow brick road I want to get to the wizard as quick as possible uh, that wizard happens to be Douglas Lima right now so uh, my goal is to continue to step up my competition level until uh, uh, people feel that I'm deserving of that title shot in order to to fight a great champion like him um, so uh, you know and then after I obtain that like I said I've obtained it in every other sport so people can say what they want but uh, I would believe that my my resume before me shows that I'm capable of climbing and capable of doing that and then uh, you know at the end I'll have every title in every sport then I might just call out whoever the boxing happened to be one of the uh, Charlo brothers or maybe uh, Carnello uh, or something like that and just be like hey look Let's go. I already got the kickboxing, the MMA. I just need the boxing. There used to be a drink back in the day called All Sport. I'm trying to be the All Sport champ. Is there a timeline on any of this? I mean, how much more fighting you got in you? 
Oh man, I, 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 martial arts is the fountain of youth. I have a martial arts school. Um, I'm teaching young kids, so I, I feel good. The beautiful thing about me is, and throughout my entire career, if you look at it, I haven't really taken a lot of damage. Um, you know, fighting is, uh, I always say it's like the holidays, it's always better to give than to receive. Um, I feel like I got some more year, great years in me. Um, and because of the background that I come from, I know that I'm always faster uh, and quicker. I'll be quicker to the punches and kicks than all of my opponents. Uh, no one can, uh, no one has, or that I've met at least, has been able to be faster than I am, um, no matter how many years younger they are than me. So um, until my body starts to, to hurt and ache and pain and tell me otherwise, or until I have my close family and friends tell me, uh, hey, Raymond, you need to hang it up, or I start you know, talking with the third speech or something like that, then uh, I feel I'm going to keep pushing. Um, the kickboxing experience that you have, does that factor into your experience as a mixed martial artist? Is it totally different? Do you take lessons learned from your kickboxing days into this arena? Like, how does that factor your experience-wise? Oh yeah, that I think that uh, that experience, uh, like, cause so people look at his record and my opponent this weekend is like eight and five, so he has a lot more experience say in the MMA world, which is okay with me, and that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for that next level, that next challenge. I'm one and one, um, but then they don't count. Like if you look at my my uh, professional fighting record, it's 35 and, uh, and three, so I have 38 professional fights. Then you got to include also my sport karate career. So I take the lessons from back when I was in sport karate, where I have thousands upon thousands of fights the 38 professional fights i have the couple mma fights and i take all of that with me and i continue to to grow from those those lessons to not take it with me would be a, a huge mistake why do you think that um, kickboxing just doesn't seem to capture the public's imagination in the u.s the way that mixed martial arts has I don't know. I think uh, mixed martial arts uh, uh, over here has a lot of other things that are really popular. You know, the karate side of it is popular, so people like to see the stand-up punching and kicking. Uh, the jiu-jitsu became uh, really uh, popular uh, uh, with like the Royce Gracies and stuff like that. And then wrestling is a, is a high school collegiate sport, um, so it's the combination, I think, uh, that people really like. I don't think uh, sometimes people understand all the, you know, the wrestling, jiu-jitsu, or the kicking and stuff like that, so I think that's sometimes why. Um, it's not as popular. People don't people don't really get it. Um, and then I think a lot of fighters sometimes aren't aren't willing to go out there and to risk um, like some of the moves that I throw. Those are moves from martial arts, but a lot of people stick to a jab cross. It looks like, you know, kind of funny boxing with some leg kicks only. And that's cool and all, but it's not as probably as entertaining. Um, so I think uh, sometimes when the fighters are going out there, they're so focused, and, and I understand it too as a fighter, you're so focused on winning because you want to obviously keep yourself safe, but you want to also keep your job, you know what I mean? So if you go out there and you make and you risk things like that, you're risking you know, either hurting yourself, you're risking you know, uh, you know, taking a loss or something because you're going out and throwing things that are taking more energy and stuff. So I think uh, fighters tend to fight a little more reserved sometimes instead of showing uh, honestly their true ability. You've been doing it for so long it seems like it'd be difficult to make adjustments with distance timing range because for mixed martial arts there are different distances timing and range right so what kind of transition was that for you? Uh, it was a, it's a fun transition. Um, I, I still find myself making corrections and stuff like that because uh, the response time and how quick I'm used to honestly exploding towards people. I have to slow some of my attacks down because uh, because I cover the gap sometimes so quick it, it causes me to be at a disadvantage or because you know I'm throwing. So I, I've had to learn to change my stance up a little bit and to change kind of my movement just a little bit and change a little tweak little things in order to make it uh, proficient because you know if you fall down in kickboxing it's okay. You you know what I mean? If you fall down in sport karate, it's okay. If you fall down in MMA, 
uh, it's going to be a whole different ball game. There is no break. There is no timeout. There is no go ahead, get back up, dust your gloves off. It's keep going. So, so I've had to make some adjustments on on, on my game for in my strategy. For sure. Uh, you can still figure out the 720 punch, though, it seems like. And, and that's why you're getting your shot here uh, in, in the main card with uh, all, the th all the things that you've done in, in kickboxing and the chance to be explosive and put on a show. Uh, to know that that's how the promoter's looking at you, say, oh, well, we lost these fights. We know we can throw Raymond in there and he'll, you know, something crazy might happen. How do, you, how do you interpret that? How do you deal with that? Do you have to live up to that expectation or do you walk into it thinking, I'm just, I'm just doing it and th these things just come out of me? Yeah, uh, I, I mean, well, it's kind of hurt my feelings that I wasn't on the main card, you know what I mean? Because I know that my last vi uh, fight that I went kind of went viral, so it had, you know, all types of views. And the fact that this is my hometown, uh, meaning this is the first opportunity I've ever had to fight in, like, uh, this part of California. I've, I fought up in San Diego, San Jose, but I'm from, I'm, I'm originally from L.A. County. Uh, I live in Orange County, so this is my actually first time actually fighting in my own backyard. Um, so, um, to be, I mean, I get paid, obviously, the same either way whether I'm on the prelim or the main card or whatever the case is um, but uh, I do know that they they are expecting but they know that that's what I'm capable of doing and there's not really a whole lot of fighters in the world that are capable of pulling off those type of things you know there's maybe what two three fighters that might even try something like that um, so uh, yeah I'm, I'm excited it makes me nervous because uh i know people are expecting me to do things but uh that's what i have my coaches and, and and family around me for they're like hey don't go out and chase that just go out and do you and, and let the fight happen as it as it unfolds um but my fighting style is is exciting that's why i think uh um bellator and his own paramount they they trust in me to go out there because they know that uh i'm gonna always go out and put on the show and always give them all and give people something that keeps them on the edge of their seats Josh Gross with Julia Budd, Bellator featherweight champion here, media day, not too far away from Chris Cyborg, actually about 10 or 15 feet if I'm going to be accurate about it. So what do, what do you see when you see this woman? What, what, what do you take in? What do you sort of absorb when you're in her proximity? Um, I just see somebody that I'm going to be fighting in two days. Yeah. I see a woman. I see my next opponent. Yeah. Simple, cut and dry. Now, is that, is that something that you sort of, as camp gets down to and you come close to a fight, things become more simplified in that way? Or if it's earlier on or different parts of your career, you're thinking about her in different terms? Yeah, I think that it's just at, when you study someone and you prepare for somebody for months leading up to a big event, I think that it kind of, you, you, you break them down. All right. So in the beginning of camp, I, I had, I felt like I had this huge workload to do. And then as I get closer, it's like, okay, my job gets simpler, simpler, simpler until I'm ready to go. This is a fight you've obviously thought about for a long time. Yeah. And I, I think she'd be lying if she said you did, she didn't think about it either. Yeah. She's been on your, in, in, in her brain, right? She's thought about Julia Budd for a while. Um, is the pressure on her in this fight? Do you, do you, do you think so? I'm the betting underdog, right? So I'm, I, she's got the big name. She's got the popularity. Um, and uh, I guess I'm at a point in my career where I don't really give a sh crap. So I'm like, I'm going out there and I'm going to go and do 100% my very best. And it's not even about a belt. It's about that person that's been in my division for so long and me going out there and having the best performance of my life and putting it all on the line. And that's what I'm prepared to do. Did you see anything about the end of her UFC run that made you feel like, you know, she's not the dominant cyborg that we've come to know and expect? Not, well, you know, I have to prepare. I, I, 
I have to prepare for the very best Chris Cyborg. So that's me being 100% honest. I'm like, okay, you know, the, those might not have been her, you know, best fights on her on her record, but I'm prepared for her at her very best. And that's what I think, like, why I've been able to stay on top and be the champ for, you know, this will be my fifth world title belt or world title, you know. And, um, and basically, yeah, so I just prepare for the very best her. But um, I think that every fight shows me a little something. And how have you changed here now in the last few years? It seems you're very comfortable as champion in this role. It's it's not something that's too big for you. You've embraced it. I've heard during fight week that you've really embraced the media and you've been in LA and doing the rounds. I've heard the other side maybe is complaining a little bit about it. So, you know, sort of in this moment, in this time, what, what does this mean for you as a professional and for an athlete as a martial artist? I embrace it. Thank you guys. Thank you all for tuning in, wanting to hear our stories. That's what makes us, you know. Um, I, I love it. I'm embracing it and uh, I welcome it and you know and I think that a big part of it is going with the flow you got to you can't if you turn little things and get annoyed with little things here and there then it's like you're getting distracted from what the goal is at the end of the day and um, yeah I'm grateful for it have you felt like this fight week is larger than ones you've experienced before a little but it's been fantastic the media has been great the radio shows have been great and I'm just appreciative to be here on the big stage and be able to show the world who I am I don't know if you saw this tweet. This is from Gina Carano. Have you seen this? So she said, I had two losses in my fight career, one in Muay Thai to Julia Budd, second against Chris Cyborg. They fight each other Saturday in Bellator MMA. I might have to make my first bet because I have a feeling. I'm going to ask you what you think her feeling is. But I keep telling myself not to get excited about big fights, but whatever, I'm stoked to see this. And she posted uh, photos of you and Chris. What does that mean to hear those words from Gina Carano? I, I love Gina Carano. And if she's reading this, I love The Mandalorian. Um, so, you know what? I know what she knows. I know what she knows. And uh, I'm ready to go out there and show the rest of the world. You think she's betting on the underdog in this fight? Absolutely. You know? Uh, people look past me because they don't know who I am as much as they know her, but um, there's some people that know who I am out there. What do you think this fight looks like on Saturday? Me with my hands raised. You know, I don't give predictions, but I've seen it ending in the first round, second round, third round, fourth round, and I'm ready to work all 25 minutes if I got to, but uh, by any means necessary. Would it surprise you if she came out and wanted to wrestle? Uh, absolutely not. We're prepared for that. I, it actually wouldn't surprise me at all. I'm prepared for every situation, so... Yeah, and, this straight I, and, I, and I love wrestling. So you love wrestling. How long did it take you to love wrestling? Because that's not that wasn't your wheelhouse. It was, it was grueling, and it took a long time. But um, I developed a love for the sport and a real appreciation for the sport, especially after my loss to Ronda. I had to learn how to wrestle. I was like, okay, you know, I can't go back in there like that. And I had to learn, and uh, it's so hard. And it was, and to me, it's so much harder than Muay Thai um, because that's my bread and butter. But um, I've grown to love it. So. It's a little bit like you're a football player and you, know, you have a certain type of athleticism and you get thrown in the swimming pool and you can't like you're all of a sudden you're taxed and like it's a totally different kind of output. Is that what wrestling is like to the Muay Thai? Absolutely. And then I think the wrestlers feel that way about the striking. So, you know what? It's just it's it's become that it's it's people call me a wrestler now and I'm like, oh, thank you. You know, <laughs> think I'm a wrestler. Perfect. I started wrestling when I was 28. So, yeah, you've pictured yourself getting your hand raised. You've said that. What does that mean now? That would mean that you have a win over Chris Cyborg and sort of, do you expect the sport then to rally behind you and say, you know what, Julia Budd is who she said she is and we finally believe her now? I can't. I, you know what, people are going to say and do what they want to do. And um, whether they get behind me or not, 
at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. But I know what this mean, this win means for me. So, um, yeah. What is it? Tell me what I mean. Have you already said what it means for you? What, what does it mean? Well, it means everything. It's like this is the pinnacle of my career. This is like the fight to, that's been meant to make and meant to happen. And I just feel like it's at the perfect time. And I'm like finally presented this legacy fight that is comes around maybe once in a lifetime, twice in a lifetime. And I'm just chomping at the bit to get in there and show what I can do. I was watching, uh, we're at the Paramount uh, studio lot and uh, the theater here where we're doing the media day, they were showing some of the video packages and they had one with you and Chris and they featured your dad in one of them and he talked about the idea of like, man, I wish I got her in martial arts earlier. Were you a terror? Were you, were you were? Yeah, I was a bit of a terror and I was getting up to shit before I started martial arts and went down a way better path than we were headed. We're in a small town. I was getting frustrated and um, yeah, not doing too good. And then all of a sudden, uh, Muay Thai coach comes to the community and opens up a gym in his garage. Next thing you know, I'm going there every day after school. And it was a place that I could let out all my anger, my aggression, my frustration, and um, really grow. And then that's how I got um, introduced to my husband and my coach now. So he was his student, and he would bring us into Vancouver to come and learn from Lance. And it was just like, it, my life wouldn't be where it is today if it weren't for Muay Thai. Has Lance given you any particular piece of advice for this fight? Be me. Go in there, be me. It's all it takes. And welcome back to GPB. Uh, thanks again to Raymond Daniels and Julia Budd. Appreciate their time and their thoughts and their input. Uh, both uh, both interesting interviews. I, I must say, I think uh, Budd is extremely confident right now. Extremely feeling her championship self. And the questions lie on the other side. The questions lie on the challenger side, Chris Cyborg. Um most of the pressure, I think, remains with her. I believe that Bud is correct when she says that, right? I think most of the pressure remains on Chris Cyborg. The expectations are not on Julia Bud, except the ones that she places on herself. And she seems ready for that. She seems ready for that. Um, let's just break down this card really quickly. Uh, in the main event, I am picking Julia Bud to beat Chris Cyborg. I think that technically she can handle a tactical Muay Thai fight against Cyborg. I think that she's the larger fighter than Chris Cyborg physically. On stage, I took note that Cyborg was wearing heels when they did the stare down um, and that when they step in the cage barefoot, that Julia Budd may have an inch or two on her when they stand in there. And not a lot of women have done that against Cyborg. Not that she's the tallest fighter, but she's extremely physical, as we know, extremely well put together. Julia Budd is not, 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 not out of her element that way, not at all. Um, but beyond the physicality, um, I'm just liking the energy from the Bud side. I, I think I think that she puts on the best performance of her career. No jitters. She doesn't get frozen in the moment. Uh, I think she's ready for this in all sorts of ways and uh, and and finds a victory. Uh, fun fight. A very good fight. A fight worth watching. I would highly recommend. Of course, these fights are on the zone. And uh, if you don't subscribe to the zone, this is probably a card worth signing up for. Um, I say that as someone who basically watches everything and. Is subscribe to everything, and uh, would recommend that if you're listening to the show, you you probably you probably care about mixed martial arts. So this is a fight that you should watch. Um, the co-main event, high stakes fight at 145. It is the uh, the continuation of the featherweight tournament. We saw what AJ McKee did to Derek Campos in Hawaii in December. This is now the next stage of that. The ne the winner of this fight between Darren Caldwell and Adam Borix takes on AJ McKee. 
And uh, that, I think, either way you go, it's very interesting. To me, the more interesting winner would be Borics. He would go to 15-0. and 0. He would be undefeated, taking on the undefeated AJ McKee in a semifinal. Bellator would know that no matter what, that they're going to get an undefeated fighter in the final. Um, and I think it's going to go that way. I like Adam Borics to beat Darian Caldwell, who has campaigned mostly at 135, let's not forget. Um, so he is moving up in weight. We've seen him in this weight class. We've seen him uh, fare pretty well at 45. But I do not uh, think that it's going to be his day. I like Adam Borix, the Hungarian, training down there with Henry Hooft in Florida. Very serious. Uh, lives in the U.S. 11 months out of the year. He spent 14 weeks in training camp for this fight, putting everything that he has into this. Uh, he knows that this is his opportunity. And I think that uh, he will capitalize on that. I'm not calling a flying knee knockout. Of course, he sort of made that his staple in the last couple fights. Um, but I think that being taken down by Caldwell is not going to be enough to do it. Uh, he's got to finish him. I think that uh, Caldwell is not going to be able to really damage him on the floor. So Adam Borix wins this fight, advances. That's my call right there. Uh, rest of the card, some good fights to pay attention to. Sergio Pettis making his Bellator debut after a career inside the UFC, taking on Alfred Kashkayan, uh, a local fighter who um, uh, is a West Coast guy and has pretty much campaigned to 145, coming down to 135 for this fight. He will be the larger man in the cage against Pettis. Um, tough to pick against Pettis, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if Pettis lost this fight. I think don't don't discount Alfred's chances here. Uh, fight back at 45, it, this very well could have been a Bellator featherweight Grand Prix fight between Juan, Juan Archuleta and and Henry Corrales, uh, I think a fireworks kind of fight. Um, Corrales uh, had that beautiful knockout of Aaron Pico. He's been in wars. He doesn't mind throwing down. Juan Archuleta has shown that he's certainly willing to throw down too. The question for me is, does Archuleta wrestle him or not? That That's the real question. You know, Juan can kind of dictate what a fight looks like. Does he choose to do that? Or does he make it a firefight? I think I think he mixes it up. I think he gets takedowns when he needs to and, and tries to fight a relatively smart fight uh, against Corrales and walks away with the victory. Uh, uh, of course, Raymond Daniels moving up to the main card, taking on Jason King, uh, another guy with more MMA experience than him. Um, I think the whole idea of why Bellator's put this fight on the main card now after losing the Dylan Dennis fight and after Conry uh, Gracie fell off the card is that Daniels is capable of things that people can't even comprehend or imagine, right? He seems to pull these crazy finishes out of nowhere. And so that's the whole idea of, of putting him on there. It's a fun card. It's a fun card on his own. I think top to bottom, uh, lots to fight to pay attention to. If you're going to catch the Bellator stream, um, you can do that. AJ Agazarm uh, fighting uh, Adele Altamimi. That's that's a fun fight. Uh, you know, AJ is one of these guys who's making this transition from jiu-jitsu into the mixed martial arts world. He seems very serious and intent on it. Uh, if you'll uh, remember the name Curtis Melender, uh, he's fighting uh, on this card against Moises uh, Murrieta. Uh, look, I think uh, I think there's good fights from top to bottom on uh, on this bill. Uh, also, Aaron Pico, of course, Aaron Pico, right? Taking on Daniel Carey. Carey's kind of the spoiler. He's been the spoiler in his career. Uh, he's, he's spoiled Gaston Bolanos last time out. He seems to do this, and he's a very serious guy. He had a six-week camp. Um, all eyes on Pico, of course, because Pico can... He's got that Conor McGregor in him, doesn't he? Where like it would just take a win or two for people to all of a sudden be like, oh, he figured it out. Aaron Pico's figured it out. And then people get excited about him and start talking about him and feeling like, wow, well, you know, maybe, 
Maybe he was the best prospect of all time. It didn't go quite his way. Look, look at this story. Look at this redemption story. There's a lot of that in this fight. And uh, it's a big moment for Pico. He's got to deliver. You know, I think Bellator's looking at this as sort of a step back fight, a regroup fight. You know, we'll wait and see kind of fight. Pico's got to deliver and step up big. So that's the, that's the Bellator card on Saturday. And not to be forgotten, at the same time as the Bellator event is unfolding out here in Los Angeles, the UFC will be in Raleigh, North Carolina for an ESPN Plus card headlined by uh, a really good heavyweight contest that I think uh, could dictate the course of the 2020 campaign for both of these men. Curtis Blades and Junior Dos Santos is a fight that I think people will look at and feel like, Hmm, that's uh, that could go a lot of different ways, right? That that's certainly a contest that uh, could go to the ground, could be fought on the feet, uh, could end up being a slugfest, could end up being a controlling, slow-paced contest. Lots of different potential outcomes there for Blades. Uh, this is a chance to win three fights in a row and really regroup after the Francis Ngannou loss, a really devastating loss at the end of 2018. Uh, the wins that he's had have been nice, but no one of the caliber of a junior Dos Santos, of course. And Dos Santos is someone who I think if you're looking at a fighter who has made a name for himself, been a champion, represented in the company for a lot of years, uh, and may not have a lot left, hard to know, um, this, uh, this is a fight that'll be telling. Coming off a really ugly knockout, knockout loss to Francis Ngannou, who seems to be the theme of these things in terms of like sort of ending runs or, you know, lo- determining how fighters look uh, uh, in a certain moment in time. Um, you know, is he the guy that won three in a row that handled Blagoy Ivanov and uh, Taya Tuovasa and Derek Lewis, or is he the guy who got stopped by Stipe Miocic, Alistair Overeem, Francis Ngannou. Tough to tell, but uh, this this is a fight, I think, that uh, uh, really has some intrigue to it. And, um, you know, it's one of those nights where you're probably setting up multiple monitors at the same time, quite honestly. I mean, you, you get your zone set up for Bellator. You get your ESPN Plus set up, set up for the UFC card. And, uh, you know, it's something that I think you're going to want to catch uh the rest of the card uh, it, it, there's nothing to sneeze at i mean rafael dorosenos and, and michael chiesa is a really good fight in the welterweight division i think uh, with chiesa you know he's he's shown himself to be a 170 capable of handling tough opponents beating carlos Condit, beating diego sanchez of course now dosanos is i think maybe someone who's got a little bit more life than those guys um and uh, has shown himself capable of winning big fights at 170, um, but you know, tough, tough to say, tough to say. I, I think you know, it's him losing to Leon Edwards is not an indictment of Rafael dos Anjos at 170. Leon Edwards is a heck of a fighter in that weight class, so th- this is a good fight as well. The, the fight card up and down has interesting contests. One thing that sticks out to me, uh, really, because I wrote about it, it's on the website um, uh, on Thursday, and if you haven't had a chance to check it out. On this fighter, Tony Gravely, he's a bantamweight making his UFC debut, 19-5. and five. One of these guys who's taken the long road, right, the slow road to the UFC. So many fighters, either in UFC or Bellator, sort of get it thrown in there with less than 10 fights. A lot of them do. Uh, he is not in that um, class, right? And, and not because he couldn't hack it, uh, but because I think his sensibility about taking his time really wanting to understand what it's like to be a total mixed martial artist before he gets this shot at his dream. And really being the UFC is a dream for this guy. 
Um, it was fun to talk to him. Uh, nice to write about. And uh, people are responding well to the story. So please check it out if you can. He's taking on Brett Johns from Wales, uh, from Swansea, um, who's also got a good record and uh, entered the UFC undefeated. And won his first three fights, but has lost his last two as he took up a step in competition. So this this is a tough one. This is a fight that Johns, I think, was probably expected to win. Gravely could uh, really uh, upset him here and uh, could turn the tables. Uh, I talked to Patrick Mix for this story. Patrick Mix is a, a Bellator-signed bantamweight, really highly thought of. Um, you know, I want to call him a prospect, but I think he's graduated beyond that point. He, he told me that Gravely was the toughest fight he's ever had in his career. He beat Gravely. Um, and actually pretty quick. But he said in the moments they shared the cage together, he could tell how athletic, how scrambly, how strong, how fast this gravelly guy was. And um, he's uh, won seven in a row. So interesting to see how he does in his UFC debut. That's it for the UFC Raleigh card. Uh, again, it's not really. I mean, there's there's fights up and down here. Uh, several debuts. Gravely is not the only one. Uh, several fighters that uh, we've seen have success getting another chance to get a showcase here. Just a good night overall for Mixed Martial Arts on Saturday. That's it for me this week. I hope you enjoyed the show. As always, uh, please on Apple Podcasts, rate, review, subscribe. If you're listening to us on The Athletic, thank you so much for uh, subscribing and, and uh, you know really supporting us. Uh, greatly appreciate that. I am Josh Gross. We'll catch you next week on Gross Point Blank.